Amen. 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 Oh, worship team. Awesome. Are you guys feeling okay out there? Here's the thing. Two things. Thing number one is I haven't preached live in a long time. So I got a lot of material. I got about two hours, two hours worth of material today. And there's not a service after this, so we could just keep going. Amen, somebody? That was not a very strong amen. All right, so I won't go two hours. Um, but I, I am thrilled to actually get to do this. I've been, for the last several months, you know, standing in front of a camera and, and talking and bringing the Word of God. But it's a very different experience to be standing here physically in front of you and to see you and to be able to speak and preach God's Word to you. And so I'm thrilled to do that today. Pray for me that I don't have too much ring rust as the, you know, the boxer that comes out uh, and he hasn't fought in the ring for a while. They have a little ring rust. Pray that I don't have too much ring rust that I can preach the Word of God the way he wants me to bring it. Uh, and before I start, we're going we're gonna to be in our series. But before I start, I feel like we should take this day... This is our nine-year anniversary, so I want to just give you some good news about what God is doing in One Family Church and through One Family Church even this year. Is that all right if I share some good news? We hear a lot of bad news, but I want to share some good news, okay? Here's some good news. This year so far, this year so far, we've had nearly 100 new members join One Family Church. In the midst of this craziness... People are saying, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus, and I want to do it here with this church family. Almost 100 new members so far. We've had about 35 people so far this year make a, a renewal or a commitment to follow Christ for the first time this year so far. We've had, this year so far, we've had thousands of people locally, nationally, and globally join us on YouTube and Facebook. I mean, I didn't even know how to use YouTube before this pandemic, and we got thousands of people starting to join on Facebook and YouTube. God is using this time to reach brand, brand new people, many of whom have not heard the gospel. Here's something that, I wanna, that I'm very excited about. Through your generosity as a church, one of the things that I love about our church is it is, it is literally one of the most generous places most generous groups of people I've ever been around in my life. And because of that, already this year, we have given away, our church has given away almost $100,000 towards all kinds of ministry opportunities. I'm going to give you a few of them, okay? By, by the end of this year, by the way, we will have given away probably somewhere in the ballpark of $150,000 through your generosity. We've given almost $100,000 so far to free children from sex trafficking through Black Box and Rafa House. We're supporting and educating orphans in Uganda through Kakiri School and Hands of Love. We're providing mental health counseling through Avenues and Crossroads Counseling. We're providing affordable uh, housing through Hearth and Key. We're providing uh, ministry to college students through InterVarsity, The Carver Project, Crew, and Science for the Church. We're bringing reconciliation to our city through the St. Louis Reconciliation Network. We're providing shelter to the unhoused for, uh, through Forest Glory Ministries and Stepping into the Light. We're providing theological training through Meacham Theological School. We're providing ministry to high school students through Man of Valor, Elevate St. Louis, and Young Life. We're supporting unwed mothers through Birthright. 
We're helping women overcome addiction through Mercy Multiplied. We're supporting missionaries in China and Southeast Asia. And we are planting churches all over the United States, in fact, all over the world, through the Association of Related Churches. And we're doing all of that because you guys believe in the mission of bringing people and God together in love, and you're supporting that mission. And by the end of this year, we will have blown away last year's missions budget because of your generosity. And I think that is worth celebrating, somebody. Amen. Amen. Now, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach today just for a few minutes. I'm not going to preach long, but I am going to preach uh, from Romans in the second part of Romans. Uh, we're in a series called Free, and we're actually just walking through the book of Romans. If you, uh, if you were tuned in last week, I preached a sermon called uh, How Bad Is It? Anybody see that last week? How Bad Is It? We talked about uh, how the Apostle Paul talked about sin uh, in, in the context of, of a sickness. And when you, when you have a sickness, you need, you need the cure. There are a lot of people out there that will just give you the, tell you the symptoms. There are a lot of people that give you a diagnosis. But when it comes to these, this, this kind of thing in our life, we need the cure. And we need, to, we need to make sure we've got the right cure because the world will give us a lot of different cures, but they won't necessarily give you the cure that's going to heal the disease. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken the wrong medicine. If you've ever had an ailment or an illness and you took the wrong medicine and it didn't help you. I had a, a situation a few months ago where I had some, a shoulder injury. I had really injured my shoulder. Uh, I had strained it. And I came to my wife. I said, babe, I need, my shoulder is killing me. It hurts so bad. I need, I need something for my shoulder. And she said, well, I've got some ibuprofen in the bathroom, in the, uh, in the medicine cabinet. Go get some ibuprofen, and, and that should take care of it. I go up to the bathroom. I got my ibuprofen. I took two ibuprofen, and uh, I thought that would take care of it. A few hours later, I'm, I'm I'm still feeling it, and, it's, and it hurts. I mean, it was a strain. It, was, it hurt really bad. So I took a couple more ibuprofen. I said, man, this should really clear up. About later on that evening, I'm like, man, my shoulder is killing me. I said, babe, I, I, are you sure? You know, she said, yeah, just take some ibuprofen. So I go take some more ibuprofen, right? Finally, I brought the bottle down, and I said, babe, this ibuprofen is not working. Like, maybe it's out of date or something. I don't know. She looks at it. She goes, oh, my goodness. She said, last time we went on vacation, I didn't have a bottle uh, for the allergy pills. So I put the allergy pills in the ibuprofen bottle. So you've been taking allergy pills all day. I said, well, you know, it's interesting because my shoulder still hurts really bad, but my eyes feel very clear right now. My sinuses are just really clear. It's amazing. Because I had the wrong medicine for the illness. I want to I talk today about what God is diagnosing for our life, for your life, the cure and we're going to take it a little deeper today from where we went last week. I want to start in uh, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul says this, and maybe you can relate to this. Apostle Paul says, I do not understand what I am doing. Anybody ever made that statement? Like, I just don't understand what I, what am I doing? For what I want to do, he says, I do not do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, he says, I do. The things I don't want to do, I do them. The things I do want to do, I don't do them. I have the desire to do what is good, he said, but I cannot carry it out. Anybody ever been there? You wanted to do the right thing, but something constrained you. He says, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this 
I keep on doing. The Apostle Paul in this moment is saying, hey, I want to do the thing that's right. I want to pursue what is good. I want to go after the things that I know are right and good and, 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 and God has called me to. But for whatever reason, I don't always get there. And, 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 and I want to avoid the things that I know are not good. I want to stay away from the things that hinder me and, and keep me from, from growing into what God wants me to be. But for whatever reason, I keep doing those things. I do not know what I am doing. So today, I want to take just a few moments, and I want to preach on the subject that I'm calling invisible chains. Invisible chains. Let's take a moment. I want you to just, wherever you're at, if you're online or in, in person, let's open up our hearts today. Let's open up our hearts because whatever God has for you can only come to you and through you if you will open your heart to receive it. So let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's open our hearts. And let's ask God to be present in our midst. Father, we come before you right now. I pray, Lord God, that every single one of us would open our hearts to receive your word. I pray that our, word, that our heart would be, like, would be like soft soil so that the seeds of your word would drop into our heart, God, and begin to grow and strengthen us and fortify us and build us up and develop us and grow us into the men and women that you've called us to be. I pray, Lord God, that every single person watching this service today or participating in this service today, God, would receive a word from you, not from me, but through me into their heart from you. God, I pray that I would get out of the way of your spirit today and that you would, you would just use me, use my mouth, use my voice uh, to speak your word. And Father, I just pray that all of this would ultimately work to bring honor and praise and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. In uh, February of 1974, there was a young woman, a college student. She was studying art history, uh, and she was living in Berkeley, California. Her name was Patricia Hurst. She was the granddaughter of a very wealthy, powerful newspaper person named William Randolph Hearst. She was studying uh, in her apartment uh, one day when she received a knock on the door. She went to the door. She began to open the door to see who was there. And suddenly, three intruders broke into her house with machine guns and masks. And they captured her. They tied her up. They bound her. Even though she fought as hard as she could, they kidnapped her. They were part of what was called the Symbionese uh, Liberation Army. There's a picture of them right here. They captured her and kidnapped her because they wanted to use her for ransom against the money uh, and the power and the fame of her family. They captured her. They took her. She fought. They put her in the trunk of a car. They took her to a house. They, they put her in the closet. They kept her bound. They kept her blindfolded. They tortured her. They, they would not let her go. So at first, this young woman, Pat, Patricia, Patty, was fighting to get out. In fact, there's a, there, was, there was evidence of, of a very uh, intense and violent struggle in her apartment. But after a while, she began to realize, I cannot get out of this situation. I am bound. I am physically bound. And something began to shift in her mind over the days and weeks that followed. 
And what began to shift in her mind was this idea that maybe if I can't get out, I might have to end up joining forces with the people who have captured me. Psychologists call this the Stockholm Syndrome. This happens when somebody is uh, captured, but over time, they begin to adopt the views and the, and the philosophies of the people who have captured them as a defense mechanism. They give up the struggle, and they ultimately uh, align themselves with the very people who have captured them. So over time, Patricia no longer had to be bound by physical chains because her mind had begun to conform to the minds of the people who had captured her. And so she began to be bound, not necessarily by physical chains, but by invisible chains. Because her mind had adopted their ideas and their philosophies. In fact, when you read the stories and the news stories about her, she, she, she actually became a part of their group. She started robbing banks with them. She ended up carrying one of the machine guns herself. She was making bombs. She was making threats. She, was, she became part of this group that had captured her, not because she was now captured by physical chains, but she was captured by invisible chains. My question for you today is this. Have any of you ever been bound by invisible chains? And what I mean by that is have you ever been constrained from doing what you know you need to do, what you know you want to do, and there's nothing physically keeping you from doing it, but for whatever reason, you're like the Apostle Paul, and you don't do the things that you know you want to do, and you don't avoid the things that you know you don't want to do. You, 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 you don't know what you're doing. You're captured by invisible chains. I'll give you one, for example, the, the, the bondage of shame. Has anybody ever been bound by shame where you feel paralyzed by shame? You feel, you feel a sense of, of worthlessness. You feel a sense of, of deep guilt. You don't even know if your life matters because you feel so overwrought with shame and condemnation. I had, a, I had an experience actually this week where I was falling asleep. And I don't know why, but out of nowhere, I thought about something that I did 20 years ago where somebody was relying upon me to follow through and take care of something for them, and I completely blew it off. I, this is 20 years ago. I, I, I mean, I can't even believe I remember the situation. But out of nowhere, I just I realized that this person had put all this time and energy and effort into me, and I let them down. And here I am 20 years later. I haven't thought about this for years. But I had that, that sense of that hot feeling that comes over you. I don't know if you know what, I've, what I'm talking about. That, that feeling of like shame where you just feel condemned. And I thought, man, this is 20 years ago. Uh, and I had to start quoting scripture and saying, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. God's forgiven me for that, right? That's, that's something from the past. But we can get caught up with shame. Sometimes we get, we get caught up with, with envy. It's an invisible chain. Anybody ever, anybody ever start to... Here's, here's where it happens. You get on social media. Anybody ever envy anybody else on show, social media? Come on, somebody. Let, let me get, let me, even if it's not true, give me something. Give me, right? I mean, all you got to do is pull open your social media and you start looking at somebody and going, man, how come uh, they seem to be doing so good, you know? I mean, what about, you look on Instagram and everybody's better looking than you. You ever have that happen? And you go on Twitter and everybody's smarter than you. You ever have that happen? That's why I go on Facebook, because everybody's older than me, and I feel like, okay, I'm going I'm to stick with that. But no, you, you have, oh man, 
on my Facebook people. Just, I just lost all, we just lost our Facebook feed. Uh-oh. Uh, but, but, but we can get bound by invisible chains. We can get bound by the, by the chain of anger where we say we're never going to lose it again. We're never going to flip our lid. We're never going to scream at our children or yell at our spouse again. And then suddenly something happens. The pressure comes on. The strain comes on. Boom. And we lose it. Uh, we, can be bound by, by, we can be bound by the invisible chain of lust where, where we just we, do, we look at something that we're not supposed to look at. And we're trying to avoid it, but something draws us there. You can be bound by, you can be bound by all kinds of different forces, all kinds of different uh, invisible chains in your life. And if you're like the Apostle Paul, you're saying, why am I bound to these things? Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? And why do I keep not doing what I do want to do? And the Apostle Paul teaches us in the book of Romans that the reason we do these things and the name for these invisible chains, which is what we learned last week, he uses the Greek word hamartia, which we translate as the word sin. This is the nature of, of every single human being that's ever been born into the planet. We were all born into sin. We've all been born into this, this, the, the bondage of sin. In fact, when he describes it in, um, in Romans chapter 6, he, call, he says that we are, bring it back to that Romans 6 uh, scripture, enslaved, he said, to sin. We are in, this is the nature of sin. This is what sin does. It binds you. It holds you through invisible chains. It keeps you from doing what God has for you. It prohibits you from moving forward into what God has for you. And what the Apostle Paul teaches us, if you're taking notes, write this down. Our natural state is slavery to sin. The scripture says that by one man's sin, sin entered the world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't the reason I don't usually preach a lot about sin is because my assumption is that all of us know how bad we are. We already know in our heart of hearts the things that we don't want to do that we do and the things that we want to do that we don't do. We all know this. But the scripture teaches us that actually we are born into that state. We are enslaved to it. It has captured us. It has bound us. And from the very beginning of our life, it is a, it is just, it's got a hold of us. We're like Patty Hearst, caught by uh, uh, captors that are keeping us from what we are supposed to do and what, what, what we want to do, and we're captured uh, by sin. I'm going to give you a visual for this today. I've been working on this visual all week, so you're going to have to bear with me, all right? Here it comes. Here's the, here's the visual that the Apostle Paul has, has showed us, all right? This is heavier than it looks, all right? You can zoom in on it. This represents sin. Right there. That's a, that is a very heavy kettlebell. I am going to represent all of us, all of humanity, okay? You and me and everybody else. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that as a result of our birth and as a result of our own uh, disobedience, we are bound by sin. This is why the Apostle Paul cannot do the things that he wants to do, because to do them, you have to drag this thing around. You have to try to drag this thing around, because it, it, it's, it's, you're tied to it. You're captured to it. You cannot get free from it. 
So the nature into which all of us are born is what's called the sin nature. I promise you this sermon is going to end well. This is Celebration Sunday, you know. So I don't, I don't, it's not, I'm not going to talk about sin the whole time. We're, we're going to get to freedom, but we need to talk about bondage for a minute, right? When he says hamartia, what he means, that word means to miss the mark. That means the thing that you're aiming at, you miss. And you end up hitting the thing that you're not aiming at. That's what the word actually means. It means missing the mark. Now, a couple, a couple weeks ago, uh, some of you know Art Bollinger. There's Art Bollinger right over there. Art Bollinger uh, took me deer hunting. Okay? Now, let me just tell you at the beginning of this story, just to settle your nerves, no deer were harmed in the aforementioned deer hunting trip. Okay? We went deer hunting, and we were going to deer hunt with bows and arrows, which also helps to explain why no deer were hurt. I've only been deer hunting three times. The first two times, I did not see any deer. I saw squirrels and chipmunks and leaves, and, and that's all I saw. This time, I'm sitting in the woods with, and Art and I went our separate ways, and we're both sitting in the woods, and I kind of figured, I'm not going to see a deer. I'm just going to sit in the woods. It's, it's, you know, they call it deer hunting. It's really just sitting in the woods. And so I thought, I'm going to sit in the woods here. I've got my bow and my arrow, and I'm sitting in the woods. I dozed off a couple times. It was early. Uh, and then suddenly I heard something. I heard some pitter-patter of hooves coming through the woods. I opened my eyes, and here come three deer right down the trail, and I'm talking about right in front of me. They were not far away. They were like very, very near. And I've got my bow and arrow in my, in my hand, and I thought, this is it. This is the moment where I become a deer hunter, and I, I, I kill a deer. It's going to happen. So I pull back my bow. There are three deer. Did I mention that? I pull back my bow, and, I, and I'm sitting down. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of a, a break because I'm sitting down. It wasn't a good position for shooting. Let's be honest. My feet are sticking out. It's awkward. Anyway, I pull back the bowstring, and I let the arrow go. Now let me just tell you, the arrow missed the deer so badly that they didn't even know they were in danger. They thought an airplane flew over. They kind of stopped and looked at each other and said, what was that? Was that, I don't, what was that? I don't know. So what normally happens if you take a shot at a deer, that's the last time you'll ever see the deer. You, that's the end of your hunting trip. Well, these deer didn't even bother to leave the presence because they didn't even know that they were in danger. And so I thought, well, I guess this is my opportunity. I'm going to take a second shot. I got my arrow. I put it in the bow. I'm still sitting in the woods. I pull back the bowstring. I let the second arrow go. This one got within about eight feet of the deer. Now, there were three deer. I mean, I was just shooting in their general direction. It didn't even matter which one I tried to hit. I just was trying to get a deer. Anyway, this time they kind of, they kind of looked around. They, they kind of got their bearings, but they still weren't quite sure what was going on. Because they, they thought they were being attacked from above, I think. I don't, I don't know what they thought. So I thought, well, I mean, they're still here. And I only had one more arrow. So I got my last arrow. And I pulled back with all my might. And I let that third arrow go. And I got to tell you, it started banking off of trees. And it was flying all around. It just, and finally the deer, it wasn't a panic. 
But they were basically like, you know what? This fool eventually is going to hit us. We need to get out of here. And they trotted off through the woods. And that was the end of my experience hunting deer, right? But this is the, this is the image that the Apostle Paul is creating. He says, in our life, we tend to miss the mark. We tend to aim at something, but we miss it. And if we do hit it, sometimes it's by accident. But most of the time, we aim and we miss. And we aim and we miss. Why? Because we are bound by sin. Our nature is to be bound by sin. Our nature is to be held captive by what Aristotle called the fatal flaw, the fatal defect, right? The, 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 the issue, that ev- the force, the power that everybody in life experiences, that inability to actually do right when we're trying to do right. So the question becomes for us, how do we get free from bondage? How do we break free from this situation? How do we get free from the desire to do what's right, but the inability to do it? Throughout history, human beings in every culture, in every tribe, in every land have tried the same strategy. And it is what I call the strategy of religion. The strategy of religion. The strategy of religion is basically our attempt to do better. The strategy of religion says, I'm going to do better. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to do everything I can to do better. And I'm going to stop doing wrong and I'm going to start doing right. Anybody ever tried that strategy before where you say, I'm just going to do better. I'm just going. I don't know if, um, if, if, if you all grew up in churches where they had altar calls. Anybody ever been to an altar call service? Okay. Altar call service is when the preacher comes up and he preaches and he brings the heat. Okay. He brings the fire. And he, and in fact, and when I was growing up, man, they could preach, they could preach some hell, fire, and brimstone. And you would feel the flames of hell licking up under the church pews. And you wanted to get up out of that seat and go down to the altar because you knew you were a sinner. You knew you were a sinner by the end of it. And what I used to do as a kid is I did not understand at that point the grace of God. I didn't understand the mercy of God. I didn't understand that God's grace was enough. I didn't understand that God's grace was sufficient for me. I thought that I had to do better. I had adopted the strategy of religion. And so every Sunday, every time there was an altar call, I would go up, I would drag, I would drag my, my weight up there, and I would say, I'm just going to do better. I'm going I'm to just do better, God. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. And no matter how hard I tried, and no matter how many times I got up there, and no matter how many times I, I said I'm going to try harder and do better, I just kept failing. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that, where you just, you felt the shame and the condemnation, the anxiety, the fear uh, of life, and you said, I'm going to try harder, and you end up just wearing yourself out with religion. Has anybody ever experienced that? When, when Patty Hearst was captured, for a long time she fought. But she got to a certain point where she said, I'm just going to quit fighting. I can't fight. I'm too tired. I'm just too tired. In fact, if you're right, taking notes, take this down. The strategy of religion leads to the symptom of despair. It leads to the symptom of, of despair because eventually you figure out that you can't do it right. That you're never going to get it right. And you finally say, you know what, I, I'm going to give up. As a teenager, I left, I left the church altogether. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a Christian family. 
But as, as, a, as a young man at about 19, I said, you know what? I'm leaving this behind. Not because there were, you know, not because it was bad leadership, not because anybody had done anything to me, but I had tried so hard to be right, and I finally figured out I'm just never going to get there, and finally I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to quit. And I walked away from God. I walked away from the church. I walked away from the people of God for a long period of my life because I just had had enough. I was tired. Some of you may have experienced that. Some of you may be experiencing that right now. You just feel tired. You've been trying so hard. You've been dragging this weight around for so long. You're just tired. You said, I, don't, I just don't know what to do anymore. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give up, right? Here's the problem with giving up, and it takes us even deeper because the, 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 the problem is this. The symptom of despair leads to the state of denial. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. After Patty Hearst had given up, after she had quit trying to fight, what ultimately happened is she, had, she not only quit trying to fight, but she started denying the fact that she was a captor. She started denying the fact that she was in captivity, and she started making herself believe that she wanted to be there. In fact, she released this statement after being in captivity for a few months. She said, I have been given the choice of one, being released in a safe area, so they'll let me go, she said, or two, joining the forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army. She said, I have chosen to stay and fight. I have been given the name Tanya. It is in the spirit of Tanya that I say, our country or death, we shall prevail. She said, I'm just quitting, and in fact, I'm not, I'm not just quitting, I'm actually joining forces with the enemy. When she was later found, they found that she had lost 87 pounds. They found that her IQ had dropped 17 points, because somewhere in her mind, that one of the psychologists that analyzed her said that she had become a, basically a low-effect zombie. She had allowed her whole life to be taken over by this group of people to where she was in a state of denial to the point where they no longer had to bind her with physical chains because she was so bound with invisible chains. I've been there myself. For me, the tension became so great when I was struggling to try to make, you know, live right and the strategy of religion that I got to a certain point when I gave up and instead of saying, I'm, I'm fighting God. I finally got to a point where I said, I don't even believe in God. I'm not being immoral. I just don't believe that morals exist. I'm not being unethical. I just don't believe that ethics exist. I had to live in a state of denial because the tension was too great. And I know that a lot of people have reached that point in their life where they say, you know what? Maybe this is just who I am. Maybe this is just the way I am. Maybe this is the, maybe this is the way I want to be. And they end up joining forces and they end up denying the fact that they're enslaved. That is the most dangerous place to be if we fail to understand the, the, the enemy that seeks to harm us. If we fail to recognize that, that's the most dangerous place that we can possibly be. And that's the point that I had reached in my own life. But here's what I love. The book of Romans says this. I don't have this on the screen. It says, God proves his love for us through this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. Do you know that he has been in pursuit of you even when you're not in pursuit of him? He is reaching out after you even when you are not reaching out after him. In fact, what, what Romans teaches us, what the Apostle Paul teaches us, is that there is nothing we can do to be free from this bondage. There's nothing that we can do to be free from the bondage. But he did something that liberates every single human being from this bondage. He sacrificed his life for us. He gave his life on the cross that we might be free. I'm going to read you this scripture, and I want you to get this because this is huge. This is the turning point. This is how we find freedom in Christ. Romans 6 says this. I need you to help me read this out, okay, when I, when I give you the cue. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Somebody say death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. Somebody say death. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, somebody say death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self, watch this, our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. Do you understand what he's saying? Our old self was crucified so that the dominion of sin might be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Here it is. Here's the line I need you to get. Since a person who has died is free from sin's claims. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying that death to self brings freedom in Christ. Death to self brings freedom in Christ. Let me explain what I mean. This is, we're, about, we're, about to, we're about to come home with this, all right? What this means is that there is a part of you that is bound. It's the part of you that you were born with. And no matter what you do, you cannot get unbound. No matter what you try, no matter how hard you... The only way you can be free from the bondage of sin is to undergo spiritual death. Let's get our worship team. Come help me with this. Is to undergo spiritual death. That means the old self dies and is buried with Christ so that a new self can rise. We were in Chicago last year with my family on vacation. And we went to a church... And the pastor, the preacher, was preaching on this passage. And the pastor kept saying this line that my children really loved. He kept saying, you've got to kill the old man. You ever heard that phrase? The old man, like the old you. Well, sometimes my children call me the old man around the house. So every time the preacher said, you've got to kill the old man, all my kids started cracking up laughing. And then the preacher just kept going with it. He was like, you've got to starve the old man you got to obliterate the old. You have to crush the old man. And man, every time the preacher, they just kept going. And then on the car ride home, that's all I could hear. We would be riding nice and quietly along, and then one of my sons in the back would pipe up and say, you've got to kill the old man. Right. But the preacher was right. The only way to be free from sin is for the part of you that is bound by sin to die, to be crucified with Christ so that that part of you can die, be buried, and resurrected. Let me show you what it looks like. I'm finally going to get free from this, from this bondage. 
Here's what it looks like. It looks like you and me coming before God and saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot get free from sin. I cannot break free from shame. I cannot break free from fear and anxiety on my own. I cannot do it, God. I am going to surrender my life to you. My heart, my soul, my mind, my body, my spirit, I am giving it to you. I am submitting it to you so that you can take my old self, so that you can take my old self to the cross, that it might be crucified with you, buried with you, so that a new self might rise with you. It's saying, God, I'm giving you everything. Myself is gone. Myself belongs to you. And the scripture says that when you do that, you have, you have been given the key to freedom. Because it's through the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we allow ourselves to die, sin cannot bind a dead man. The dead man is dead and buried. And what rises is somebody brand new. What rises is somebody that's not bound by condemnation, that's not bound by sin, that's not bound by fear, that's not bound by shame, that's not bound by anxiety. You are free in Christ. And this is what I need every Christian to get. You are no longer chained to the sin of your past. You are no longer bound by it. You no longer need to live in fear of it. You no longer need to have the shame and the condemnation of being under that old self. That self is dead. In fact, the scripture puts it like this. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, listen to this, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. When Patty Hearst was ultimately freed from her captors, she had taken on an identity, this identity of Tanya. And she had taken on this whole identity that, that was conformed to that group. But over time, she was reunited with her family and the real person began to emerge. You see, some of us, we've been freed by God, we've been liberated by God, but we're still identifying with the old self. So even though we're not bound by physical chains, sometimes we're still bound by invisible chains. Sometimes we forget that we've been raised from the dead with Christ, and we keep identifying with the old self that's dead. And what God is saying is, look, I want you to understand your identity. I want you to know who you really are. Because if you know who you really are, then you can live how you're really designed to live. You can do what God's calling you to do. You can avoid doing what God's calling you to avoid. You can live in freedom. And here's how the Apostle Paul ends it in Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. He says, For those of you who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Somebody say, I'm a child of God. You are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What God is saying to somebody today, 
I know he's saying it to me. I know he's saying it to some, some of you today. You are no longer bound to what has bound you. Sin has no power over you. Shame has no power over you. Fear has no power over you. Anxiety has no power over you. Envy has no power over you. Anger has no power over you. Lust has no power over you. All of the things that have, pride has no power over All of the things that have inhibited you and held you back in your life, none of them have power over you because you are free in Christ. You are no longer a slave. You are a child of God. And somebody should stand to their feet and say amen to that. Amen, somebody. I want to pray for us as we close and we stand together. I want to have our worship team lead us out. But if you would just open your heart to God today, I want us to celebrate who we really are. Father, we thank you for who you made us. We thank you for letting us experience your freedom. We thank you for dying for us on the cross and setting us free. We pray, God, that the freedom we had experienced would not only be for us, but let it pour through us. Let us reach your world and liberate your world, God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.